This episode is brought to you by Amazon Logistics. The delivery service partner program is a new opportunity for business leaders who want to own and operate their own package delivery business. Get access to Amazon's logistics training and technology and start building a team of motivated drivers in your community. To learn more about becoming an Amazon delivery service partner, go to logistics.amazon.com. Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamario, Managing Director of Elton Global. Our mission is to connect the supply chain ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward the most interesting leaders in the industry. And I'm very happy to have with us today Pascal Bouillet, who is Vice President of Supply Chain for Global Emerging Markets for Mars. Mars is an American global manufacturer of confectionery, pet food and other food products with close to 33 billion in annual sales. And some of their most recognizable brands are Snickers, Mars and Twix chocolate bars, Pedigree, Whiskas and Royal Canin pet food brands, as well as Wrigley's and Orbit Chewing Gum, among many, many others. The company is one of the largest privately held in the United States. Pascal has been with Mars for more than 20 years, having served in different leadership positions in manufacturing, supply chain and engineering across Asia, Europe and North America. He is now in charge of supply for global emerging markets, which include Latin America, Middle East and Africa, as well as Asia and Australia. Uh, pleasure to have you and thanks for making the time, Pascal. Thank you, Radu, and uh, very pleased to be part of your podcast. Uh, let's start maybe firstly with your career in Mars. It's uh, 22 years, 14 roles, quite, quite a feast. So maybe tell us a little bit about your, your uh, progress in the company. Yeah, 22 years actually. How, uh, People start to call me a veteran in the company, but um, many people, including my children, ask me, you know, why did I stay so long in, in the company? Uh, why was not more curious to explore other uh, things? But uh, when I reflect on my career, first, I think I was very fortunate to join a company that truly believe in the development of their people as a way to develop long-term uh, success. And I think when you combine this with my curiosity, my willingness to travel, I think over the last 22 years, I've never been born one day. Mm. And I was lucky enough to be able to work across four continents, um, Europe, Americas, um, Middle East, Africa, and, and now based in Asia, and uh, have wonderful experiences. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I mean, it's it's quite um, it's quite a feast. And I was just to add a thought that comes to my mind. I was recently asked uh, what makes a good chief supply chain officer in a different podcast with uh, with with one of the transportation uh, um, associations in in Europe. And I guess this versatility of moving around continents and international mindset is is one of the key aspects. And and great to see Mars doing that. And there's a couple of other great companies doing that. Um, and also was curious in terms of this responsibility, you are in a global role, you're Vice President of Supply Emerging Markets. Sounds like a great scope, huge scope, a scope that would keep you up at night because you know one part of the world would never sleep, um, no matter what time zone you are on. So tell us a little bit about what's your role, what's your scope uh, day to day? So I, I've been in this role for eight months now. And um, when uh, we created this role and I was offered the role, uh, it felt quite scary because we talk about uh, 15 different factories, uh, over 100 markets, uh, six clusters with different route to market. Um, and uh, yes, four continents, uh, about 20 time zones. So I said, how do you manage this? And I think it uh, forced me uh, and my team to rethink really about how do we reinvent our leadership? 
how do we have a different approach to work? And um, clearly, you know, uh, to be able to to be successful or to sleep at night, my first focus was on having the right people in the right job. So that, you know, the day-to-day operation, the business continuity management is very well taken care of. Um, so focus on building effective team, focus on talent and capability was a key priority as I chose this role. Um, I think, you know, when I look then around uh, the scope of the role is how do I prevent business disruption? Or how do I make sure that in these very volatile uh, geographies, uh, you make sure that uh, you protect the business, you delight our consumer and our customers with the great product, and uh, we can react well whenever we have crisis. And the last point also is emerging market is a, is a mine of opportunity. Uh, this is where we believe most of our growth will come from, not only for uh, Mars Wrigley, uh, chocolate, gum, and mint, but also for Mars Incorporated. Uh, and therefore, is how do I make sure that supply and supply chain uh, remain relevant to the fast evolving uh, shift that we see in the, in the industry with the consumers, with channels, uh, with authorities. So that, that's the strategic part of the world. Mm. So I, I need to ask you this because, you know, we live in a time of crisis and we live in a time where crisis and, and business continuity plans are the new norm because there's always something happening from, you know, uh, war in Iran uh, to volcano erupting in Philippines. Now we have a coronavirus crisis that is, is badly impacting. Um, how do you how do you manage all this? And, you know, especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, 20 time zones. Well, I think that when you get the first crisis, uh, well, you, you learn from it and, and you start to, to, to see how do you manage the crisis uh, protocol, how do you try to bring back, you know, production uh, as fast as you can to minimize business continuity. And after the second, you do it and the third one, you do it. And, and then you realize that well, business disruption is becoming part of the role, uh, part of the job. And, and therefore, I think... Our key realization in this geography is we have to plan for crisis. We have to plan for the unexpected. So I don't know what it looked like, but the, the way we approach it is really looking at our core business, uh, the strategic part of the business. How do we secure it? And that can be around you know, defining secondary sourcing options. Uh, and for this, making sure that we anticipate any registration we have to deal with, uh, with some of the Southeast Asian countries, for example. Um, it's also making sure you hold some strategic inventory on some of your critical skills. Um, and it's also training your people, training them to proactively anticipate crisis, do scenario planning, simulate as well one or twice a year a significant disruption. And this level of preparedness uh, becomes a competitive advantage when a true crisis like the coronavirus is eating us. Mm, for sure. And I'm just thinking from, um, let, let's take that as an example because it's, it's very real and it's happening right now and, you know, there's not necessarily an, a clear end in sight. Hopefully, you know, it's going to clear up the coronavirus in the next couple of months. But in this particular situation, how do you, maybe, maybe you can share with us some, some very um, hands-on or practical steps that you've taken in, in Mars? Like, do you also have a crisis team that gets deployed? How would you, you know, how would you react uh, very, maybe, pragmatically? So the first piece we've done is really looking at the, the safety of our associates. Mm -hmm. So providing advice around uh, travel, uh, you know, making sure that people that are, uh, cannot go back to China, for example, are taken care of while they are 
waiting for clearance to be able to travel back to their home. Um, so we first focus really on the health and safety of all our people. Then it's trying to understand uh, the magnitude of the risk and how it may impact our business. So basically, with China New, uh, New Year and the coronavirus, China shut down. Mm. And this is an important source uh, sourcing location for us. So quickly we get into how much coverage do we get until we run out of stock, for example. How can we activate secondary sourcing uh, solution? Um, so we, we enter into this scenario planning. Mm. And of course, we put in place you know, crisis team at the China level, because this is where we have a lot of disruption, um, but also at, uh, we'll say, more a corporate level to ensure that we can provide guidance also for all the units that are uh, beyond China. Mm. And practically, uh, it's trying to monitor you know, when we get the license to start up again our factory in China. And uh, knowing that chocolate, gum, and meat may not be priority products for Chinese government and Chinese authority. But the other uh, interesting piece is when you get this license, do you have the manpower to be able to start up, knowing that the full country has been traveling uh, over Chinese New Year and most of the people cannot go back home? So we're trying to deal with that and understand what type of organization we need to put in place so that we uh, protect our associates for any contamination, but also start to be able to operate. And then as we clear those pieces, we realize that now we need to be able to ship the product. And when we've had such a shutdown of all the ocean um, freight uh, across Asia, we do see a ripple impact to other countries. So for example, we find it difficult to ship product from Australia to other parts of Asia because of those ripple effects. So I think we are really in a, in a phase where we are really watching what's happening with the, you know, this week and next week, where first we'll know more about how the virus is stabilizing or continuing to contaminate, and also how the business uh, operations are resuming in China. And it's a lot of work, of detailed work, it's a lot of uh, corporate affairs focus on making sure we connect with the authority to get you know, uh, the clearance of some document in, at the border, customs. So this is very hands-on. And, and I think the piece we have to do also as leadership is to assess uh, what if this remain you know, an ongoing issue for more than four weeks, six weeks, and if it becomes like six months issue, all that transfer our business. Um, we don't have the answer yet, but that's where the scenario planning is important to ensure that uh, we say in every crisis there is a part of danger to your business, but there are many opportunities. Mm -hmm. How can we translate that into opportunities? Mm. And I wanted to ask you because the, the point that you're making, you need you know you need backup, you need uh, alternative sourcing uh, hubs and routes and and options. All that is linked to having quality data, is linked to having quality inputs from your supply chain to, to identify that. Um, asking you a broader question in terms of your supply chain and data and digital transformation, you know, the buzzword that everybody's talking about, how uh, or have you done uh, certain projects that you're most proud of in Mars around that specifically, around uh, getting the right data and inputs from your supply chain and how would that help you in this type of situations? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the, the digitalization of the supply chain is fascinating. And um, it, it's actually the, the new tools, the new possibilities that are giving opportunity to leapfrog some of the tension we've been facing. So, for example, across many of our units, despite being a, a large corporation, 
Excel is the planning tool. And uh, not only for you, I think I was reading some of the 90% of the Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we spent the, the last uh, 10 to 15 years trying to implement SAP, some of those you know, big uh, softwares. And now with the cloud, uh, with the digitization of the supply chain, you can actually go to you know, cloud-based solution that transform the way we operate. And it makes us realize that how well do you know we know our business, our master data, as they're good? Uh, how can we capture all the information and provide insight from that? So uh, it's really a learning journey. And uh, our approach is to have Sprint, which is really a test and learn uh, solution. Uh, we don't want things to be perfect before we implement them. We try them. If we feel successful, then we quickly replicate them. If we feel that it's not working, we stop them. And that's a very different approach versus historically deploying common systems everywhere. And some of the direct implication is um, we looking at global uh, tender uh, on sea freight, like having this, vi this visibility, understanding what we want to ship from where to where, we can have live auctions about sea freight, which reduce significantly or help manage the inflation. Uh, that we see on the cost of uh, sea shipment. What China has done, because China is a pilot for us, they are going fast on deployment, they are providing full visibility of the stock across the supply chain, from customer until supplier, helping making articulated decisions around what to sell at what time, where to ship the product, and that's accelerating our ability to make decisions. And also, this is a better integration between demand and supply. Uh, ensuring we minimize the stock we hold. Mm -hmm. So that's our other example. And the key project we're working on is also what we call control tower, mm -hmm. which is start to have a full visibility of our pipeline uh, across the geography. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what are some of the current or common challenges that you face when you try to implement this thing? So obviously, very, very good example with the sprints and the fact that you don't need to do something organizational-wide because that will take years and usually it's just pilot after pilot after pilot and nothing really actually gets implemented. But even even when you do the sprints and then you need to, to roll it out at an organizational level, from your experience, what, what have been some of the challenges that you have seen? You've done this many times over. And what were some ways in which you overcome that? Because I think that's a situation where most people are also faced with. So I think the first piece is uh, we don't know what we don't know. And so many possibilities available uh, with the new tools that being aware about the trends uh, is possible, is critical. And, uh, and therefore, being able to partner with the right external uh, companies or getting the right external perspective is critical. So this is forcing us to be more externally focused versus previously looking at internal solutions. So that, that's the first driver. I think the second one is also to be clear about what we are trying to solve for. Because it's great to use digital, and but we want the more we can articulate what we try to solve for, the better the solution will be, and the more applicable it will be to our business. And I think the third point, it's more around mindset and behavior in the organization. Um, sometimes it's very difficult to change habits. Uh, yeah, I've been using the same Excel spreadsheet for the last 15 years. It's doing perfectly the job, and I'm very comfortable with it. Uh, moving to a different tool or accepting that we can do things differently, uh, it's not always easy. And many of system implementation failed in the organization because people 
did not use the system for what they were designed for. And while we have some system in place, they are not being used or became obsolete because people got back to what they used to do on Excel. So I think this is you know, making sure that we, we stay aware about what's happening externally, and then we engage the organization in this cultural shift, you know, embracing the new tools. Mm -hmm. And this pops into my mind as a question um, just strictly related on the fast demographics as well as um, differences in between the geographies that you, you oversee, right? I mean, Latin America is one thing, Middle East is another thing, Africa is another thing, Southeast Asia, China, Australia. Um, how, do, how do you, you, I guess localization is a big thing. We had another guest on the, on the podcast, which is an expert in trade, and, and he was arguing the case that the way that global companies will be more successful in the future is by being hyper-localized and, and managing to, um, to get their supply chain localized and, and, and as much as possible. But how, how does Mars and how does do you and your role manage to have that local focus? Because I'm guessing something that might work in Latin America, even from, I don't know, a 3PL delivery perspective, may not be the same in Middle East. And your partner there might not be the same in the Middle East. So I'm just thinking, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, you know. No, it's very, and I think this is one of the reasons we created Global Emerging Market. Because while uh, those market may be very different in terms of uh, the level of development, uh, the culture, uh, the infrastructure, we do see a lot of common similarities. So some of the route to market between uh, modern trade or e-commerce evolving quite rapidly uh, versus traditional trade and how you, you, you serve those little you know, mom and pops shop. You see the same in India as you see in Egypt, as you see in Brazil potentially, uh, similarly to Southeast Asia. So therefore, what you can do is develop common playbooks that you deploy and adapt locally, but the framework remains the same. The capabilities are very similar. Um, and, and that's the benefit of having such organization is to rapidly uh, deploy solutions that are relevant to a market uh, without reinventing the wheel. And we do see a lot of benefits with that. Um, similarly, you know, when you look at where we operate, uh, emerging market is very much around the equator. So odd countries. So for chocolate, um, you know, it's difficult to distribute our product. So having solutions that can leverage uh, chillers or can develop products that can be instable at higher temperature will be relevant to all of those countries. So I think this is where you know, localization is important. Um, but I think what we're trying to develop is a common framework that can be applicable and deployed rapidly. Mm -hmm. Like a blueprint. You mentioned e-commerce let's let's talk about that because it's changing everything really and it's also changing quite rapidly the the fmcg supply chain how is it uh, how is it for you how is it for mars well this is clearly a trend that we cannot uh, ignore um, and i think the coronavirus is just showing that people are shifting faster to e-commerce it's quite fascinating they don't want to go to the store anymore so they're leveraging online and uh, some of our tensions uh, as FMCGs and, you know, is we have become very, very efficient at scale. And e-commerce is challenging this model. Uh, specifically, I would say the last part of the logistics. Chocolate does need uh, controlled uh, temperature uh, shipments. How do you do that, you know, with e-commerce? 
uh, how do you find partners that can provide you this capability? Um, so whenever we leverage our existing customers that develop the e-commerce capability, this is easier for us. But when we have direct to consumer, and the more we can be direct to our consumer, the more we can connect with them, we can create an experience. But the logistics becomes a real challenge. And shifting from modern trade as scale to actually e-commerce uh, challenge the business model. And that's something we're trying to navigate through is first to find the capabilities that enable us to give the same experience with our product to our consumer or their order online. But also, and but also make sure that the business model we are developing um, enable us to continue to, to grow and develop as a company. And I would say this is a learning journey. Uh, and we are trying really to work with partners to see what's the best way to, to make sure we can deploy um, sustainable e-commerce solutions. Mm. And, and there's, there's been a, a multitude of tools and I think the technology around analyzing consumer behavior has, has grown tremendously in the last couple of years. And obviously that has an impact in terms of supply chain planning, inventory, stocks, stock accuracy and, and all of that. Do you have any case studies of, of using such tools for Mars for increasing your productivity? Well, we're trying you know, to really analyze a shift in the industry and access to data becomes uh, critical for this. And now with the smartphones, with all the integration of data, you know, it's, it's magnitude of data and being able to navigate through that is, is becoming, you know, data insights is becoming critical. What we're trying to do is, is to partner with some of our key customers to understand some of the pattern, pattern of um, purchasing. We do have quite a seasonal business. So if you talk about Chinese New Year in China, if we talk about Halloween in the US, or uh, Ramadan, Middle East, uh, some of the key festivals in India as well, the volatility of the sales you know, is quite big. Um, so what we are trying to do is to use artificial intelligence as a way to predict what may happen. Um, so looking back at the last five years or six years, looking at the off-tech, looking at consumer behavior, depending on if, uh, for example, Chinese New Year is in January versus February, is it close to uh, um, Valentine's as well, can change consumer behavior, can change customer uh, behavior on how they order as well. So we're trying to pilot uh, the use of artificial intelligence to give us some key insights because we do have a belief that year on year, 80-85% remains the same um, and only maybe 10-15% to variability. But we plan against you know, a perfect world and we got it wrong most of the time. So that's an example of application where the use of uh, data uh, through artificial intelligence can give, you, give us some insight to better organize our supply chain in a very uh, volatile uh, environment. And I need to ask you uh, a topic that I think is on the agenda of most, uh, most supply chain professionals and in general the world, which is the topic of sustainability. We need to um, put our heads together and, um, and act a bit even more uh, with a sense of urgency than we have done so far. So I wanted to ask you what are some, some of the areas where you're um, focused on in terms of sustainability in supply chain, maybe packaging, maybe you know uh, other areas at, at Mars. 
Um, well, thanks for the question. It's actually, um, this is really a passion for us at Mars, and I think a passion for the owner. And uh, uh, at Mars, we really believe that the world we want tomorrow starts with the way we do business today. And therefore, we have a big ambition around um, sustainability, and we do have a very active program called uh, Sustainability in Action. And this program has three uh, pillars. The first one is around LC Planet. Um, LC Planet means um, what action do we take to, you know, protect the climate, uh, reduce, you know, a greenhouse uh, gas emission, um, water stewardship. We know that water scarcity will become an issue in the future. Um, sustainable packaging, and I'll go back to packaging in more detail uh, because that's a brutal reality for us in terms of where we are now. Uh, and land use is the one. So, so that's the first pillar around LC Planet. We also have a pillar around uh, thriving people. And uh, we want to increase the opportunity for, uh, in the workplace, but also you know, in all the communities we touch, um, from you know, uh, cocoa trees until you know, the consumer eating our products or bars. Um, and, and this is working with farmers, for example, in the origins for cocoa, for mint, for rice increasing their income, helping them you know, for better farming, uh, more sustainable farming. It's also you know, uh, making sure we respect the human right everywhere we operate. Um, it's uh, also unlocking opportunities for women. Um, and I'm very proud that in India, in Egypt, we've broken some beliefs where we could actually have women working in the factories, which when we talked about this topic was thought to be impossible. And then the last element of our sustainability uh, pillar is really um, nourishing well-being and people should be able to access the product and information um, they need for a healthy lifestyle. But let me get back to maybe the, the first pillar which was around the healthy planet because you know packaging is, is, a, is a key concern actually. Um, and here we have to confront brutal fact. When you look at our portfolio, um, most of our packaging is uh, plastic and uh, currently I would say most of it is actually non-recyclable. We cannot accept it uh, and that's why we are completely rethinking uh, the way we need to approach packaging. And um, we are very proud of the quality of our product but I think uh, we have to, uh, to accept that the packaging uh, we use is not sustainable currently. So we've developed a big program and uh, we've made some big public commitment and I encourage you, know, you and also all our auditors to go to www.mars.com where you can see in detail some of those programs. But basically by 2025, which is really tomorrow, 100% um, of the plastic packaging that we use will be reusable, recyclable, or compostable. Uh, we want also to reduce by 25% the use of virgin plastic and we want to develop reuse program uh, and partner with some key countries also to make sure that recyclable solution become available and we want to promote this. Um, we also want to provide recycling uh, usage for uh, and guidance for consumer, especially some of the country where is not very much developed. And I think in Asia, we can see when we go to Indonesia, we can go to some of those countries that uh, this is a significant problem. Um, and we want to eliminate, eliminate PVC as well. And uh, the way we are rethinking the approach is first, reducing the use of packaging. And that means reconsidering the headspace we leave in our packaging. Uh, 
or in, in our packs. Um, it's also uh, minimizing the use of uh, secondary and third packaging uh, options. And once we reduce it, we want to redesign it with more uh, environmental friendly solution. Use maybe a recycled paper, cardboard. Having in mind that the, the, we need to keep the functionality of packaging, which are to guarantee shape life, to protect uh, the product from any uh, tampering. Um, and then also we want to invest in closing the loop to make sure that uh, after 2025, um, by reducing our packaging, we don't need, by re redesigning the packaging, we do need and investing in closed loop. Well, we, we believe we can help building a circular economy where packaging no longer becomes a waste. Mm. Um, but as I said, this is a significant shift, which may consider rethinking some part of our portfolio or rethinking some of our business model, because 2025 is tomorrow and it's our responsibility to make sure that we can change uh, the reality, which is not uh, acceptable now. Mm. I wanted also to ask you, and coming back to the to the topic uh, that you raised several times and for good reasons, because ultimately it's all about people, it's all about talent. Uh, companies are run by by people for now, and hopefully for for the time to, to come. Um, I wanted to ask for your views in terms of the type of skills and talent and um, and um, uh, knowledge at the end of the day that you see being needed in the supply chain of today and for the you know for the next uh, next couple of years. What would be some of the hard and soft skills that you see supply chain professionals need to? Uh, to get on board with to be to stay relevant ultimately. Well, as, as we've been discussing in in the, in, in the last few uh, minutes, is supply chain is transforming. Uh, we are seeing significant shift, um, and therefore it means that also the way we typically approach supply chain is to change in terms of the skill set. So, and it will depend in terms of different level of uh, seniority you have in the organization, but. Uh, some of the supply chain operator, we need to be able to work, uh, you know, uh, problem solving um, as a core skill set. Why, why, why? Identifying root cause of problem. The ability also to get insight from the data. A supply chain people deal with tons of data. How do they simplify the insights they can get to have the right uh, action? Um, and, you know, of course, understanding, being able to see trends, patterns, um, the, the shift we see in the channel to e-commerce, for example. So that changed the way we need to uh, deploy products. Um, digital, we talked about blockchain uh, control towers. Um, I think those are new skill sets that are emerging, that are coming. We need to make sure we build the right capabilities with our people. But I think the most important piece, I guess, is more on the leadership capabilities that we need for the supply chain leaders. And um, I, I strongly believe that uh, the role of supply chain in the enterprise is shifting as well. Uh, maybe that was seen before as a necessary uh, evil to bring the products that we sell to the consumer. I think companies are seeing that as a competitive advantage potentially. So therefore, the future supply chain or the supply chain leaders that we need now are people that have perspective, business acumen, can really understand how supply chain can create value for the company in unlocking growth or unlocking values that enable company to invest in driving growth. Um, and, and this is, you know, 
maybe different from the typical supply chain people that used to be quite strong in, with deep functional expertise on, on warehousing, on logistics, uh, or on planning. And also because now we see, uh, as we need to accept that disruption is part of our environment, we need people that can be uh, resilient, people that can engage also their team uh, to be able to operate in this environment. And this is people also that uh, can also um, be a bit uh, anticipating, doing scenario planning, so strategic agility, navigating through complex challenges um, to really unlock the supply chain possibilities for a company. Unfortunately, uh, we are not seeing this type of profile. It's not very easy. And I think as a supply chain leaders uh, across the industry, we need to see what we need to do to ensure that uh, we can really develop long-term capabilities in those areas. And that we, by partnering across industries, partnering with universities, and uh, promoting supply chain as a, as a place to be, as a place to grow, because this is a fantastic uh, place to really uh, learn, grow, and have a big impact on the success of a company. Um, so yes, I truly believe that you know future supply chain talent will be key enabler of success of companies. But I think we still have some work to do to define um, and to develop those leaders. Mm. What what would be one piece of advice that you would give to um, uh, maybe to the younger side of the audience that has? or is about to graduate or maybe has spent three to five years in supply chain and wants to become a leader, uh, an executive at some point uh, over 20 years. What were some of the things that has, have helped you the most in your career? Um, it's an advice I was given uh, and it's also um, it's proven to be true with my personal experience, which was own your development, own your destiny, take charge for your career. And to be able to do that, I think you need to be curious about the possibilities. So very early on in my career, I, I tried to understand the different roles uh, in the company, uh, the role of the different departments, the interdependencies, which helped me define uh, the type of experiences I would want to have. I wanted to go abroad, I wanted to work in, in, in manufacturing, leading plant supply chain. Um, so therefore, I took ownership of my personal development and I took you know, ownership of my career options. Um, the second one is around love what you do. Uh, the, whenever I, I work with passionate people, I can see them develop and grow. I can see them you know, having a purpose. And usually they, they find the right balance and in terms of their career aspiration and their overall aspiration for life. And I would say the third one is be courageous, take risk. Uh, if you feel a job is far too big for you, well, take it. Uh, my experience is, you know, uh, four years ago, five years ago, I was uh, in the UK managing a supply chain with one factory. After five years, I ended up in global emerging market. Uh, managing, you know, this complex environment with 15 factories. I would have never believed I would be able to develop that way. But I think, you know, I was curious. Uh, people took chances on me. Uh, I felt it was safe to take the risk on taking a bigger role. And when you have an environment where you love what you do, you're supported by the organization, by your managers, and you, you 
you have the vulnerability to not know everything and rely on people to support you, usually you go the, the, the fastest. So yes, take responsibility, be curious, be bold, and uh, be passionate. Mm. Thank you, Pascal. No, great, um, great sharing. And, and uh, yeah, on, on, on that note, I'd like to encourage our listeners to, to follow your advice because uh, um, yeah, they will, they will go far. And uh, yeah, really, thank you for your time and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Fadu. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcodglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.